This is the Ed Marlin Show. Welcome back to Max Out, everybody. We're going to talk entrepreneurship today. We're going to talk business. And the man to my left is impeccably qualified. He's the CEO of uh, Walmart e-commerce. He's built and sold multiple different companies, sold one of them to Amazon, sold another one to Walmart. This man knows an awful lot about building businesses, starting businesses, scaling businesses, selling businesses. And so we're going to get a chance to talk about all that today. So Mark Laurie, thank you for being here, brother. Thanks, Ed. Great to be here. It's going to be good, man. If you guys want business, you've got two guys to talk to today. So I want to I start out a little bit just to give them context because you haven't just done this once. You've had multiple successes. Just give them a little bit of your background because I don't think that was an adequate introduction about the businesses you've built and what you did with them. Yeah, so you know, I started my career actually in banking. Mm-hmm. So you know, there wasn't really the startup scene back when I was in high school. You know, I graduated high school in 1989. Me too. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> College in 93. Yeah. So there wasn't really this startup scene. And so, uh, you know, being from New York and um, the stock market and stuff was kind of a hot thing yeah. to, to think about as a kid. And I, I got into stocks at a young age, you know, from from 10 years old, I had a little you know book that I would look in the newspaper every day and write down the stock prices. Kellogg, here's what it was. It was up this and tracked them. And mm you know, read about stocks as a a kid and started getting and reading books on derivatives when I was in like seventh grade, eighth Mm -hmm. grade. Wow. But my whole childhood was filled with all these entrepreneurial things that I did. Yeah. Not realizing that that could be like a a thing. Like you could actually be an entrepreneur and and, and start something. It never even occurred to me. Don't you also think though, like if you're a parent too listening to this, because I had that entrepreneur bug and I didn't know as a kid too. We both had baseball card businesses and you and I both had lemonade stands (laughs) and I had an auto detailing business. And I think if your kid shows that proclivity early, you should be feeding that because we we are in that world today. So in your case though, it fascinates me. So you kind of have this entrepreneurial spirit. You go to college, first dude in your family really to do that. You do well. You're doing very well in the banking space. Yeah. And then, but you've got this entrepreneurial bug sort of floating in you the whole time. And there's a lot of people listening to this that want to be entrepreneurs, but they're at a job right now. You know, they're, they're winning where they're planted for now, but they've always wanted to have their own thing or start something. And and in your case, what I love is you didn't even know what the hell it was, right? So one day tell them, you just basically walk into your boss and go, Hey, and what did you say? Yeah, I just walked into my boss's office one day. This was like about almost seven years into my banking career, and I was executive vice president, chief risk officer for this bank, making a ton of money. I never thought I'd make that much money, yeah. you know, just because, you know, it just wasn't a thing, you know, growing up, thinking that that was possible at that age. And, uh, but I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I knew I had to just go all in. And so I went in my boss's office and just said, his name was Jerry Goldstein. And I said, Jerry, um, hey, I, I just want to tell you that I'm going to resign. <laughs> and he goes, he laughed. He goes, come on. What, what do you mean? Where you, you, nobody's going to pay you more than I'm paying you. And I said, no, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to do a startup. And he's like, really? Well, what? you must have a great idea. I, I said, well, it. I don't really have the idea yet. But <laughs> I love but I, but I need time to think about it because yeah. I need to go all in and but do didn't, it. But didn't people think you were crazy? He thought I was crazy. He really thought but I was crazy. But I mean, crazy. the people around you. Like, you're going to leave this really good job. Like, I want to be, but you don't even know the idea. Yeah, everybody thought I was crazy. No capital either, right? Like, no, not a no lot capital. of capital. Well, he thought I was so crazy. He said, you know what? Put me down for your first, I think it was 50 grand. No way. As an investor, 25 or 50. I the guy you're 50. resigning from yeah. goes, well, when you figure it out, I'll give you yeah. $50,000. Yeah. And so I knew nobody. It wasn't like, you know, we had family, friends and things that had money because yeah. 
and I started with angel investors. It was that first bit of money. And then he basically introduced me to two people. He said, hey, you should go talk to these two people. And then from that seed, I wound up talking to, I don't know, maybe 200 angel investors, and I got 60 investors to invest a total of five million bucks. Nope. No venture, I didn't know any VC, I didn't know anything about the startup world. I didn't know what a cap table was. You, you know, it was like, it, I knew nothing. I just, but I got 60 angel investors yeah. to give, on average, what, what's, you know, about 80 grand each, and, and it was like five million bucks, and that was the, the thing. I try to tell people all the time that you don't have to have everything buttoned up and know exactly Precisely. what you're going to do. You kind of just go all in. And a great example of this was I agree. We, we started, um, you know, there's like a CPA, yeah. a chartered you know, uh, accountant, yeah. and there's the CFA, chartered financial analyst. There was nothing for financial risk managers. You couldn't get certified. So I was talking to my, my boss and became a friend and, and I was like, you know, why don't we just kind of create an, an exam for risk managers because it doesn't yeah. exist. And he was kind of like, yeah, well. You literally created an industry. Yeah, cre uh, cre how, do you, how do you create an exam? And so we started talking to people and um, basically they're like, well, you can't just create a certification. They're like, who are you? You're like 24 years old. You can't just start an exam. Like, yeah. who's gonna like accredit it or who's gonna, and I said, no, no, we're just gonna we'll start an association. Wow. And a, a not-for-profit association and that association will credit it, you know, and then we'll, we'll kind of do the exam. And so everyone's like, you know, that's crazy. You can't do it. So I said, you know, forget it. I'm jumping in. What we're going to do is we're going to set up a website. We're going to put up a date for the exam. Mm. The first thing we did was a date. We just picked a date. Like it's May, you know, whatever. Mm. I don't remember the year, 90, 98. Here's the date. It's New York City, actual date. And here's the outline of all the things that are going to be on the exam. Send a check for 500 bucks and you got your seat and then that's it. And so we just put it up there and all of a sudden we started getting checks. What? People started sending checks and it was like, so we looked at each other like, I think we need to write this exam now. Oh my gosh, there was no exam at the time. No, it was just, it just started <laughs> okay. with the date and the, and the, and the agenda for okay. you know, the, the, the topics. Yes. And we started getting all these checks and we got 34 checks, $17,000 oh. and 34 people. And so we decided, so me and Lev sat down and we spent weekend after weekend, nights and things, writing this entire exam on every topic. And we gave also recommended readings as well. And then we, we went to New York City, we rented out a place, and we administered this exam to 34 people. And then we went home and corrected it. We decided where the pass-fail was. We sent certificates to the people that passed. And now today, it's still in like 50 countries around the world. There's like thousands what? of people taking this exam. You're so. a trip, man. Like. <laughs> Like, no, but, but it's just a great, I, and I'm just, I'm just saying that only because you, people think that when you start something, yes. it has to be like buttoned up or you need to have a plan or you need to know your next step or whatever. And what I always say is, you know, just take the biggest step you can with your next move. Yeah. And that's it. Like toward your vision. You have the vision and just take the biggest step you can. And for us, the biggest step we can take was... Here, here's the date. I believe here's that. The, here's the common line of the entrepreneurs have been on the show or my friends that are entrepreneurs is they're willing to step into spaces they're ill-prepared for. And they go, when I get in there, I'll figure it out. And then yeah. when I get in there, I'll figure it out. When I get in there, I'll figure it yes. out. And in your case, and then I want to go to some clues because success leaves clues. <laughs> and what I want to spend our time today on are those clues, are those lessons you've learned. But just for everybody to give some context, what the, made me attracted to having you on was the diversity of your success. So this is you know, an exam for risk managers, right? 
success in that space. You take diapers.com, sell it to Amazon. I think they gave it in your own case because it's your story. I think even in your own case, you don't have a, quite the appreciation for how remarkable it is. So you take diapers.com, sell it to this little company called Amazon, right? I'm kidding. Yeah. And then you build jet.com, you sell that to Walmart. Like you've had a really crazy career for a dude who literally walks out of a job one day that's really successful it doesn't even have the damn idea yet. Yeah. Like it's remarkable. And I want people to know, <clears throat> how can I be like you in my own small way? So I'm gonna go through a list of sort of rapid fire stuff. Number okay. one, do you think entrepreneurship is for everybody? No. And why? I don't. I think you have to be, I'd say the, the, the key um, mindset is mm -hmm the ability to take risk and be comfortable with taking risk. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, I find that the difference between doing it and not doing it is a lot of time it comes down to risk. When you do something, there are so many unknowns, you have to be comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. And you have to be comfortable with the fact that there's a really high probability that you're gonna fail. Yeah. Most people just aren't comfortable. Like thinking about, imagine this, somebody comes to you and says, listen, I want you to absolutely dedicate your entire life, kill yourself, give up family, friends, everything. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's a good chance it's not gonna work. Right. It's like, that's a tough sell. Yeah. That's a tough sell for most yeah. people. Do you think the It's the combination of both. You have to do both though. You have to go all in and you have to like, just like work, outwork, you know. Everybody. everybody. I, well, the reason I ask you that is I was reading some stuff you've said about the all in thing. So you led right where I wanted to go. Okay. And you had a business you had invested in <clears> where the people looking at it were like, well, why is there $390,000 of your money in this investment <laughs> or in this business? Like, why is that the number, right? Yeah. And I thought it's genius what you're going to share here. So th what did you tell them and why did that really matter at the time? Why yeah, that and I f I'm funny, and I'll have a yeah. follow-up to that too. So, yeah, so the pit, Dot com, which mm. is the business that I quit the banking to go do, which was a sports stock market that mm. I sold to Tops, the baseball card company. Um, uh, you know, I invested on the cap table, 390,000, which I had saved from, from, from banking yep. over those years. And they said, you know, why 390,000 you invest? Why didn't you just invest 400? And I said, because I only have 390,000. I literally took the entire bank balance that I had saved over those seven years, 390,000 in cash after tax, and I just, boom, put that into the business. Mm. And the one was, you know, needed some extra capital, so that was kind of good. But the, the, the primary reason was one, to show people how serious and dedicated I was, like yes. investors, yes. which worked, by the way. Yep. You don't get 60 angel investors to put 80 grand in for somebody who's never done a startup before mm -hmm. unless they truly believe that this person's gonna do whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And I think that was the signal. It was like, yeah, he's got every penny of money he's made into it. And then also for me, knowing that I had every penny into it was like, there's no turning back. It was, it was life or death. I put myself in a situation where I could not fail. Yeah. Just couldn't fail. I think that that's where most people aren't willing to go to make your point earlier. Even if it's not 390, if it's $39,000, or if it's quitting your job, or if it's having to sell your home to start your company. Yeah. Most people aren't willing to go to that extreme. And yeah. one of the things, and I've not heard it said this way before, but I agree with it is, you said when you're even evaluating if you're gonna invest, Everyone that's out there that's listening, this is a very important thing that I think Mark says better than anybody. You say that when you had that 390 in there, because that's exactly all you had, it was everything you were in there, 
that that being all in helped you find a gear in you mm -hmm. that didn't exist had you not gone all the way in, right? Absolutely. So the irony is the risk you're taking to start the business yeah. may be the very thing that helps you find things in you you didn't know you had. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that. I mean, mm -hmm. I think, I tell everybody, you have to think life or death because in every one of the startups, even in all four of the startups I've done, if I wasn't in that extra gear, mm. they would have failed. Like mm. there was n none of them were like easy coast, you know, you just sort of go, go, go and everything's great. Mm -hmm. They all ran into a situation where you had to go to the extra gear to make it or you were going to fail or you're going to fail. Yeah. So all four so, of your big successes, there was a point where you were almost out of business. Yeah. All four of them. Hmm. All four of them. Yeah. Man, why is that invaluable? Because there's millions of people that are listening to this or watching it that they may be in that state right now. Yeah. You know, if you're an entrepreneur, the chances are, as you're listening to this or watching this, you're in failure still. Yeah. The chances are. And, and I, go no, and just And just raising money too, yep. you know, when, when now being on the other side and doing investments and things, that is the primary thing that I look for. Is this person, is this team all in? You know, like, mm. do they have something at stake here that's going to push the limits of what they're capable of doing. I think humans are capable of doing so much more than they think they are capable of doing. You know, mm. it's just, it's that mentality. And I've seen it in myself. I've seen, I've done things I didn't think were possible. Mm. You know, work at a, at a pace that I didn't think was possible. Mm. You know? And you think that's because you had to, because you, you were had all to. in. Yeah, you had to. And, and, and all in, I'm mean, all in with certainly monetarily the 390, mm. but then in each of my businesses, I've had every friend, and family member involved and they have their money at stake and yeah. people that don't have money, there's, there's that part of added pressure, pressure. And, and just knowing that you don't wanna let people down, not yeah. only yourself, but you don't wanna let people down. See, I think, Shareholders and things. I think for someone who's sold, had four hits like you've had, significant hits, big businesses that have sold, for someone listening to this to hear that, hey man, I was almost out all four times. Mm -hmm. I went all in with my cash. I didn't have it all figured out when I started. These are huge things, and yeah. that if you if you're not willing to tolerate risk, you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. I always go back and kind of summarize lessons as we're going. <laughs> now let's go to some of the things that worked in all of them that mm -hmm. I think that that are principles. So I want to ask you first about core values. Okay. So this is something I talk a lot about when I'm teaching entrepreneurs. I'm just curious as your take on how important it is to establish core values in these in any company as any entrepreneur, any organization. Yeah, I think I think. The, the common theme across all startups, and if I were to ever do one again, um, the first thing I think about is the culture of the, okay. of the organization because people are everything. Mm. Like you cannot build a big successful business without having great people work there. Yeah. And to hire great people into a startup that's unproven, that doesn't, you know, that has risk, it's uncertain, it's hard, you know. I think time. you're inspiring. Yeah. I think people inspire differently. I mean this, like, you guys, you take Walmart for a minute, 4,700, I'm giving you rough figures, 4,700 stores that are within 10, 10 miles. miles of 90% of all the people in the United States, <laughs> right? Like, this is remarkable. I mean, it's remarkable. Say that again. 4,700 stores that are within 10 miles of 90% of the humans in the United States. Like, that's a pretty big deal. Yeah. And the dude leading the e-commerce side of that now, trying to match that hardware up with the virtual world, is a dude 
who walks into his boss at a bank one day and goes, I'm just going to be an entrepreneur. And he goes, what are you going to do? I don't know. You got an idea? I don't have an idea. You got a lot of money? I don't have any money. And it turns into that. Like, that's just crazy, right? Like, and that should give so many people hope that are sitting in a cubicle somewhere right now or driving in their car. Or they're on the treadmill. They're like, I don't know if my life's ever going to amount to anything. Look what's happened to this man in his life. It's remarkable. And that's, guys, you have to start to connect that most of your biggest dreams, most, not all, not all, but most are gonna come through you taking on some risk. That's what we started with here today. That could be for you to get into the relationship you want, you have to risk getting hurt. For you to get into the body you want, you're gonna have to risk changing the way you live. If you're gonna get wealthy and change how you feel about yourself, you might have to risk your career or risk your capital. These things are all correlated but it's just remarkable yeah. what you've achieved. Now, I'm curious, if you were to advise someone who goes, all right, I'm not an entrepreneur yet, or I'm in one kind of, but I not, might not be my dream one. There's just some piece of advice, like where do I start? Do I try to solve people's problems? Do I try to go where my passions are? You know, you hear all this yeah, conflicting I think, advice, right? Yeah, no, it's true. What I, do you think? I, I get asked this question all the time. I think there's a misunderstanding um, that when you start a business that you need to do something that's never been done. I think that is mm. the critical mistake that people make. It's like they're looking and they, they wind up, and when you find something that's never been done, it's usually kind of niche. It's like small. It's like, yeah, there's a reason why nobody's doing that. You know, usually, <laughs> usually. sometimes it's a true invention. No, you know? a good sometimes point. it's a true invention, but yeah. I just hear these like ideas all the time and they're a little bit like, they're just kind of small. The, the biggest idea is, or just take something in the world that you've, that's already big and proven, the demand's there, and just say, you know what, I can do it better. You know, I can do it better. There's some, something that's a little bit off here. Like, it's just not done quite right, you know? You can, you can pick any business, you know, you want and look at it and say, like, is there an opening here? Is there a way to disrupt this kind of industry or business? Like, Ooh. is there something here? And, and, yeah, and then just do it a better way start small and and just you know that put one is, f- foot in front of the other no one's ever said that on here yeah no one's ever said that and i totally agree now by the way if someone comes to you with some brilliant yeah, idea exactly that happens from time to time but you are so right that entrepreneurship has become this sort of like angel investing dream pitch i have an idea nobody has yeah <laughs> and then it makes everybody else think that don't have these ideas <laughs> i'm not that smart of a dude yeah i don't have ideas other people don't have but i know how to disrupt places yeah i know how to build counterculture i know that when i walk into a business and i go this could be done better or said better, or presented better, or the experience could be better. That is great advice right there yeah. for an entrepreneur. And I think, so one, one other thing I, I just add to that, that I've only really appreciated in, in the last few years, is the importance of, of timing, of like a, seg, a segment of the market, an in industry. There's, there's a kind of a right time to kind of enter uh, a segment, you mm-hmm. know? And if you look back in history, it's kind of interesting how things happen in, in groups. So like if you look back to, you mentioned McDonald's before, mm-hmm. McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, all started within a, you know, the similar years. Why, mm-hmm. why is that? Why did fast food happen then? Mm-hmm. Why did you know, Target and Kmart and Walmart all start around the same time? Mm-hmm. Like, it's because there are trends in society that make businesses you know, be the right time. Mm-hmm. And as an entrepreneur, if you're thinking about like you're open to, to do anything, there's two different kinds. There's, there's, I have this passion in this 
area and I, I know this area well and I think I can do it better, great, then follow that passion. If you don't have necessarily a passion and you just say, I, I really wanna start a business, I'm excited, I wanna be an entrepreneur and I'm looking, the first thing I would say is look broadly at, at sort of the, the world and see where are the, where are the, the mega trends happening mm. um, and then and, and get into a moving train, you know, get on a moving train because mm. that's the easiest way to, to raise capital is to, is to get on a, on a trend that's already, already sort of in motion. I'm also curious too about, I get asked a lot and I don't always know what the right answer is. You, it sounds to me like you've raised a lot of money in the businesses you've done, but I have entrepreneurs ask me often, I don't know whether I should go borrow money because money's cheap right now, mm -hmm. or should I be giving equity away in my business? Do you have a theory about when one is better than the other? Should they be you know, going to get cheap money and you know, leveraging their way to success, or yeah. should they be giving equity away? Do you have a theory about that? I do. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can make a case for either way. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of, of giving away equity. Um, one, because you just don't have, you know, if you're raising debt, depending on this mm -hmm. usually covenants, there's usually a time frame, mm -hmm. um, and you could have a good business and it could fail just because you, you can't meet the debt obligations, like okay. that kind of thing. I never want that to be an issue. I never want a good business to potentially fail mm -hmm. because it wasn't financed correctly. Okay. If you raise equity, you always have the ability to let, lay your debt on if you get into trouble. Mm -hmm. You can't, if you already have debt, you can't get in trouble, there's no more debt, right? Yeah. And it goes the other way. When you get in trouble, the covenants kick in and you have to repay the debt. So okay. I, I definitely think equity is, is, is the way to go. Now, a lot of people say, well, I don't wanna give away a percent of my business or they're scared to lose control. Yeah. One thing I tell entrepreneurs is a really important like, thing to know is that there's a difference between selling a piece of your business and giving away control. You can control the board of directors control every decision, make it so that you can't be fired and still not own 100% of the company. Yeah. And there's lots of like sure. in between. There's like, nuance. Yeah, there's sure. nuances. I mean, it's hard to get like, you know, zero mm -hmm. you know, or 100%, you know, uh, control. But there is, you can have 95% or 90 or 85 and feel really good about the control piece and still only own 20% of the company or 10% of the company. So mm -hmm. I would so so the ownership is needs to be thought of differently than control. Okay. So people worried about control, you can solve for control and still sell a piece of the company. I think it's a, that's a really important lesson. And then in terms of the percentage ownership, some people are like hey, you know, like I want to own this whole thing. I don't want to just own 20% or 10% or Yeah, well at the end of the day, it's 10% of a billion dollar business, that's 100 million, that's a lot better than 100% of a $10 million business, right? And so as you're raising capital, all you have to think about is that this is a stock, and if you raise capital, can with you with this capital increase the stock share price by more than you could without the capital? Yeah. It's actually just a simple equation. And so you go to somebody and you say, okay, your business is worth, it's worth a million bucks. Okay, great. If you don't do anything and raise any money, what's it gonna be worth next year? Like, well, I hope it's worth two million. Great, if you raise 10 million, it could be worth 50. Hmm. Yeah, well, that seems better, you know? Like, it's sort of. <laughs> so, wait a minute, this <laughs> is so good, because I was gonna ask you this, what you're saying right now, because, and this is interesting, because you do think that way. Like, I, I don't, I get the sense that you wanted big plays, and you've had some big successes. So this is so fascinating to me. <laughs> what if I do have a million dollar business? I, I wanna know how you really feel about this. I'm an entrepreneur, because that's the majority of people probably listening to this, right? Yeah. They are an entrepreneur, they've got a business worth a million bucks, maybe they're pulling 150, 200 grand a year out of it, okay? And they're saying to themselves, this is a lot better than when I used to work at a bank. 
mm-hmm. when I was making 90. They weren't like you were at your bank. Yeah. I was making 90. You know, I had to be somewhere every single day. Now I'm making a couple hundred grand. I've got a business. We've got a dream. I kind of like the way that it is. Is your advice like, hey, you have to go play big? Because there's a lot of people in the space that are saying that now. Like, yeah. if you've got a $2 million business, it could be a $20 million business. You should be thinking that way. Or is it okay? Yeah, I think it's I think it's perfectly okay. This is where it comes yeah. back to not everybody's got the appetite yeah. to take risk and go for it. If you're happy at the end of the day, hey, we're all trying to just be happy. Amen. In the end of the day, right? right. It's like happiness. Yeah. If somebody says to me, hey, I want your advice, Mark. I got this million dollar business. I'm making 200000 a year. I don't know what to do. And I ask them, like, are you happy? Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. It's great. I have some time with my kids. I'm able to do this. I'm so happy. There's your answer. I it's love, like, you know, I'm so answer. glad you said that because <laughs> I feel the exact same way. Yeah. Like I, I, I think everything we do comes back to one thing, wanting to be happier. Yeah. I actually happier. also think some of the best entrepreneurs in the world understand that and their subliminal message they sell for all their businesses is that somehow being involved with us will make you happier. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the subliminal message. <laughs> Look at Ray Kroc with McDonald's. Yeah. The guy sold hamburgers based on happiness. His number one meal is a happy meal. And he's got a clown as a mascot. And they sell meat and burgers. They're unrelated, but they are related, right? Have you had any failures? I've had I mean, I've been really fortunate that the final exit yeah. has always been a good story, but f- lots of failures along the way. Yeah. Many failures, but you haven't had yeah. a business fail. I haven't had, no. That's awesome. I haven't. Okay. I just, I, I've always put myself in a position where it was like life or death. If failure meant death. So I just, yeah, I, I had to go into like you've said sixth, that. seventh gear, eighth gear. You know? Do you know that you've said that almost four times, yeah. life or death? I just, I really feel like it. Yeah. And, and it. And it felt like it every time. Mm. You know, it really felt like it. I think that really successful people do a lot of things really well unconsciously. And the reason I really listen to them closely in the interviews is yeah. they actually will tell you things about themselves that maybe they're not even aware of sometimes. Yeah. And this idea of your business being life or death for you is really real. You've said it multiple times. Your face changes when you yeah. say it. And I think that's why you've not failed. Because to you, at these stages where maybe some people would have given in or couldn't get resourceful or didn't find a way out for you, it was literally death for you if you didn't do it. And that's something I want just to tell you that That, I see in you. That goes back to, I mean, it's probably not the healthiest thing. It's Mm -hmm. not like something I'd recommend. It's probably, you know, childhood sort of trauma-related kind of thing, you know, know, where, uh, you know, just growing up, you know, my dad was you know, not, not as, as present as, mm-hmm. as, you know, most dads are mm-hmm. kind of thing. And, uh, you know, the way, the way to get his attention was, mm-hmm. was to do something great spectacular, yep. you know? And it's like, Oh, interesting. You won the New Jersey state championship. Hey, my son just won. you know, I was like, Oh, I got it. That's mm-hmm. how you get attention. Yep. I get it. You got to do something, you know, significant, sp- significant or, you know, yep. and, and, and that's kind of interesting because yep. I've thought about this a lot. You know, you don't know what drives you as yep. you know, sort of go, but then when you kind of reflect on it, you're like, huh, Wait, why, why is it? Why, why do I feel happy? Because it's about mm-hmm. happiness. I'm not happy with this like million dollar business making 200 grand a year. It's not happy. I'm happy doing big things, mm-hmm. building things, and, and watching them become something big. You know, why? You know, that's ultimately the question. I mean, it does make me happy, but it comes from somewhere. Yeah, you know? and that's and probably where it comes from. So it's not like 
the healthiest thing. It's not like I would tell somebody you should set up your childhood this way. This way, no. right. Yeah, yeah. but <laughs> however, like, having said that, I think a lot of people use their childhoods. I've had, I have mine too. My audience is very well, well aware of mine. Um, they can use those things as excuses to never achieve anything. What you did is you took those things and you've leveraged them as some sort of fuel. Is it the healthiest thing in the world? I don't know. You've made lots of people very happy with the businesses you've built. You're happy. They're happier today that we get the chance to talk. Yeah. Your family's happier. A lot of people have consumed these products and been happier. So maybe it was worth it. But speaking of happiness, I've not ever heard an entrepreneur say this the way that I heard you say this, and I think people should hear this. And that is that I was shocked when you were willing to be vulnerable and admit that after one of your significant exits, you actually became depressed. Mm -hmm. And that was because you, you have this analogy I love of the difference between selling your company and, and selling, selling out. Gosh, man, so yeah. talk to that, please. Yeah, yeah. This is so good. No, it's true. Pe people often you know, conflate the two, selling a company and selling out. And now I've been able to differentiate because I've seen it go both ways. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you start a company, like I said, you know, the vision was the most important thing. You have a vision for what you want to become. You have a set of values. You have a mission statement. And, you know, it becomes really a part of you. And, and, and the people that come to the company come there for that reason, because they believe in the mission. They believe in the vision and what you're trying to do. And, you know, if you wind up selling the company and that vision and mission becomes no longer valid, then I feel like you've kind of sold out. And if you sell your company and you're able to accelerate getting to that vision quicker, um, you know, having a higher chance of success because you've got more capital. Yeah, you sold the business, but you didn't sell it. You still have the, the, what, the reason why you started the company and the mission and the people that came there, the reason they came is still valid after you sold it. It's just a different owner. Because mm. you have owners, when venture capitalists own your business, they own a percentage, they own it, and then you sell it to another, then they own it. So it's, it's not really any different. Mm. The difference is whether or not the vision and mission stays intact. Oh, it's okay. And I think, you know, when I first sold diapers.com to Amazon, um, that wasn't the case. It, mm. the, 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 the vision we had set out, the, the mission, was not validated after the sale. Mm. And it was very depressing, you know, and, and we were a subsidiary of, of Amazon and, and we had this incredible sort of baby business in, in baby and, and other verticals too, but, but primarily baby. And Amazon said, you know, hey, just keep doing that baby business over here on the side and you're gonna compete with us, the mothership Amazon, and we're gonna compete and we're not gonna work together and build something great. That was really depressing, mm. you know, this idea. Many people think, oh, entrepreneurs, they just want to be left alone. They don't just want to be left alone. They want to be part of something bigger, yes. you know? And so I think with Walmart, the thing that was so interesting and why, you know, we sold, but we weren't, we weren't selling out is because when I talked to Doug McMillan, the CEO, and we started talking, we had a shared vision for the future. That is, we wanted to create a form, formidable competitor to, to Amazon, and mm -hmm. we felt like there was a really big opportunity to leverage the assets of Walmart, the assets we had created at Jet, the people, bring it all together, and go after this big vision together. Awesome. And, and here are the keys, Mark. You know, you're gonna lead this thing. Mm -hmm. I gotta ask you this. <laughs> you seem like a very confident dude to me. Yeah. If we went back to the beginning of your entrepreneurship space, did you have doubts fears, anxieties, you know, you just seem to me now like I'd be a guy, you'd be a dude I'd bet on, you know, <laughs> multiple track records. We were talking off camera about some stuff you got going. I'm like, hey, <laughs> loop me in. I'm not, and I'm not getting looped in because the idea necessarily was incredible, although it was, it was more like you think it's a great idea. So yeah. there's this confidence you have about you. Was that always a key to your success or is this something you've developed over your lifetime and you 
didn't always have confidence and struggle with self-doubt and things like that? I think it's always developed, but I think that's probably one of the, one of the key strengths probably is just that I do get really passionate and I do think about stuff over and over and over and over. And when I finally mold that piece of clay and feel like it's in a good position, mm. I go all into my mind believing that mm. and the ability to sell that both to bring capital in and to bring great people in yeah. is really the, the ultimate key. Okay. So I do think you need to get, whatever you're doing, you need to get in a position where you feel so bought in yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're not so bought in, like think that this is definitely gonna work, then you got more work to do to kind of mold it. You know, mold you it. need to believe it's definitely going to work. If we execute, it's going to work. Mm -hmm. And then you always want to put the if on execution because then that's something you control. It's people, it's, it's, it's work ethic, it's, it's, you can make it happen. Yeah, right. But you need in your head to believe that it's an execution game. How do you make it an execution game? You have to work that idea and, and think about it every which way, mm. you know? You love this. I love it. Yeah, I you love do, you it do so love much. It. This is your, I love it so you, much. What about the, uh, <laughs> I want to ask you this. You said something about trends earlier. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm curious what you think some of them are. In other words, if you were looking at the world today and there was a trend line you're looking at, multiple ones, sectors that you think are hey, you should pay attention to these sectors, yeah. and these are ones that I think their best days have passed them by. Yeah, Would like, you have an well, two, I, I mean, I don't make a lot of investments, but I made a couple investments, you know, in the last, last couple of years, and each one of them is in a, in a, in a, in a segment of the market where I think is kind of like, it's, it's, it's on a good trajectory. One is eVTOLs, which is electric vertical takeoff and landings. It's been 10 years in the making. You know, the battery power is, is, is getting to a point now where I do think in the next five to 10 years, that we will have autonomous flying sort of drones with people in them. It's, that's the thing, it's gonna happen. And it's like a good, it's a good point to, to get in. And it doesn't mean it has to, you have to get into that. Mm -hmm. But what, are all the, what does it mean if that does happen, what are all the other business opportunities that open up as a result? Okay. You know, and just thinking through that. I think this whole, you know, Uber Eats, Postmates, Delive, delivering food to people's homes. Mm -hmm. I think people don't like to cook anymore, especially the, the younger generations. Mm -hmm. That's sort of a trend I see. Mm -hmm. If you just spend time thinking about the world, mm -hmm. you can see these trends and mm -hmm. where things are going. I just, I wouldn't wanna, you know, as an entrepreneur with a clean slate, start something, you know, that's either like way too early, like way ahead of its time, where you just know like, it's, it's, it's that this is the decade of learning, yeah. and a lot of people are gonna get beat up, for it, yeah. you know, and and you don't want to be kind of late, um, like, you know. I think I think in retail, starting retail, even when I did, was too late, and like there was a lesson learned. It was like too late, you know. Amazon had already been a, a very yeah. disruptive force by that time, and so you learn these lessons. And I just want to share them with people because I, you know, if I had to do it all over again, you know, I probably would have been thinking about the the the, the market and where we were and and where to sort of. I think it's two, I just want to tell you, I think it was two incredibly good pieces of advice. Number one, certainly the world is moving towards this ease of not cooking and Uber Eats and yeah. home delivery and all that. Like I hadn't thought of it in that context, that's 100% sure. And then you look at just what people seem interested in, which is this drone space, this Tesla thing, this community, this, you know, uh, the driverless vehicles and air travel and that whole combination of what you're yeah. describing there, those are certainly areas that the vast majority of people are interested in yeah. and that that's there's and I would throw in there with eVTOLs, I'd throw in their autonomous vehicles as well. Mm -hmm. Like people felt the way people talk about autonomous vehicles today mm. was not that dissimilar than it was ten years ago. 
but totally different from an investment point of view. It's so much more real like now, now going forward than it was back then going forward. Back then it was that 10 year thing you were talking exactly. about. Exactly. Right? going to get beat up. Exactly. Really, exactly. really great advice. All right, last thing because people are going to be blown away by this. You're getting ready to race Jerry Rice. Yeah. So this has nothing to do with being an entrepreneur, yeah. really. Yeah. But how the hell did this even happen and why are you doing this? This Hall of Fame, but by the way, I think Tom Brady's the greatest football player to ever play. But you could certainly argue, and a lot of people will tell you that it's Jerry Rice. Certainly the greatest wide receiver of all time is Jerry yeah. Rice. Why is the dude who walks out of the bank, who builds diapers.com and jet.com and sells a company to tops, why is that dude racing Jerry Rice? Yeah, it's and a long story, but I'll give you the short. And are you going to win? Well, I'll get to it. Okay. But, but it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a long story, but basically last year, you know, Rich Eisen, he does this 40-yard sure. dash for St. Jude's every year at the Combine. And last year, I was just researching, I was looking at kids' charities to donate to, and St. Jude's popped up, and I was like, oh, this is a great charity. I think this is, and then I saw Rich Eisen race the 40, you know, and I thought, oh, wouldn't that be fun to go down to the Combine with Rich and run the 40? And so I just, you know, threw out there and made it, I said, hey, Rich, I'll, I'll donate 100 grand if you beat me in the, in the, in the you know, the thing there. Um, and, uh, and then, of course, we went there and did it, and, and I, I beat him, but, but um, I made the donation anyway. And, awesome. and we were talking, Rich was talking, we were talking, oh, next year we should make this a bigger thing. Maybe if we, if we got you know, you know, professional athletes or other people involved, we can raise more money for St. Jude. Cool. So I just wanna help Rich. Rich has done an amazing job of, of really, you know, every year increasing the amount that he's been able to raise for St. Jude's. And I thought it's a great cause and I wanted to help. And so I just kind of threw out there, I think I threw out there, I was like, you know, I, uh, what if I raise someone, you know, like, like Jerry Rice or something? And then of course the laughter. And then it just, then it just like had momentum because Michael Rubin, who he's uh, uh, the owner of Fanatics, yeah. and he's, you know, he's a friend of mine and, and we just made a bet, we, you know, that uh, on, on this race. And he said, well, if you beat Jerry Rice, I'll donate 250 grand to St. Jude's, which was, which was amazing. And I said, well, if he beats me, I'll donate it. So, so now we have this $250,000 on St. Jude's. Um, I prefer he donates it, <laughs> but uh, I'm happy to if I, if I, if I lose. Um, but we're hoping, you know, to, to get other people to kind of cool. join in and, and um, yeah. So that's kind of what Well, you are. can follow Mark on LinkedIn, you guys, to get updates on the race, to get updates on entrepreneurship and all the different <laughs> things that we've covered today. I enjoyed today a lot, bro. Yeah, me too, Ed. It's really, yeah, really good. You. So good to meet you. Great thank being you. here. Thank oh, you. It's great to have you. Hey, everybody, remind you, too, you know, I want to engage with you more deeply. I do it every single day on Instagram. I run the Max Out Two Minute Drill. We had people here yesterday that won a contest to meet with me to get coached all day. A few weeks ago, people were on the jet. I give away max out gear, I give away tickets to come see me speak, one-on-one -on -one coaching, all kinds of cool stuff and you can win every day. All you gotta do is make a comment when I make a post on Instagram. I post every day at 7.30 Pacific, 10.30 Eastern. Make a comment on my post, we pick a winner every day. We also pick winners who make comments on other people's comments, so engage with other people. And lastly, if you miss the first couple minutes, no big deal, just comment every day. At the end of the week, we look at everybody who commented on every post and we pick winners from there as well because I'd love to engage and connect with you more deeply. God bless you. Max out. This is the Admiral Show.